Well, hello again, welcome back to the Jason and PFD Project. Super excited for today's show. Really gonna talk about some topics that are really viable to what's actually happening today, a space that's super great for everything that's happening during COVID. If you're listening to that time, we have Scott Crone on the show. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks for having us. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And a little bit more about Scott. He's the founder of Coda Management Group and teamed up with investors to purchase strategically located undervalued warehouse space and convert it into climate-controlled self-storage facilities that are managed by a top three operator. So a little bit more, he's done 47 syndications, over 400,000 square feet of property, 2,759 storage units currently under management, and 25 years to develop and design build experience. So Scott, thanks so much for coming on. I, I see that you are actually converting warehouse space into climate-controlled self-storage. Was that intended, or was there a certain time when you were doing these syndications, and it looks like you were in residential and a couple other points where this just fell into your lap, and you, and you did it without knowing really the after effect, and all of a sudden it became your business plan? Uh, it, it's something that certainly developed. I began in multifamily, and that's predominantly where the, the syndication began. When I was working for other people and um, you know the first project which was my master's was a 400 unit multi multi de, uh, family development so we had condominiums we had townhomes we had single family homes and it was on 50 acres and it was a, it was a ground up development and I worked for them for six years and you know each each and every one that we did was along those lines and so when I started Coda we began in single family and then we got into multi-family got into mixed use um, we were also have done five churches. We've mm-hmm. um, just done a, a lot of different things. And then the crash came in 2008 and 2009 and that whole market on the residential side completely dried up and everyone was going into apartments. And because that's the only thing that banks were lending on at that point in time was, were apartments. We, we did buy some apartments <laughs> and, but there was a tremendous cap compression and it was very competitive. And so we had one client who wanted us to, find him a distressed self-storage facility. And I, I couldn't find it. I was looking all over and nothing was quote unquote distressed. And this is like in the heart of the, the you know, the, the previous recession. And there was absolutely nothing that was truly fit the qualifications of distress. And I was like, this is an amazing product. And that's where I began learning about it. And we actually had a warehouse where we were going to convert it into another use for a client. And we officially got, the nonverbal verbal approval from a mayor. And then three months later, she had a change of heart. And um, so now we were hard on a contract, had this warehouse and I called up my client and said, you know, if if you really want to get into self storage and and make money, development is the the way to do it rather than trying to retrade on a, you know, moving from a nine cap to an eight and a half cap, you're not going to see a lot of appreciation there. But I said, you know, we have this warehouse, let us know if, if you think it's a good location, if it fits the economics of what you're trying to do. And they came and looked at it and they said, it meets all the things that we need, to, we need it to be, but we don't have anybody to develop for, for us. And so we did that. And we, that was our, that's how we got into self-storage. Wow. So a lot that we could unravel there. And if you look at that today, what makes the conversion process that much more viable than the ground up in terms of being able to maximize space? Is there a certain size of product that you have to be into to make this make sense? Is there a certain number of um, units that you have to get out of it? Is there, and is it location savvy compared to, you know, being close to the city or being out in the suburbs that you're trying to focus on? Well, 
it's very location specific. It's within a three mile radius. That's, that's what we're looking for. So when we're converting, we're looking at class A. So within class A, um, that is the type of thing that is conducive to more of an urban setting. Um, one, because that's, you have density. Two, you have a larger building. Um, I haven't seen any conversions in a rural or sur in a you know, suburban market for a class A type facility. So it's predominantly only in urban areas that we're doing this. So we're, we're focusing on the Midwest. So we have Wisconsin, Illinois, um, Ohio, and we just went to contract on one in, in Kentucky. So that's the market that we're focusing on. And because there's, there's unmet demand in those markets, that's why we're going after these products, after these buildings. And the reason why we're doing conversions is one, we're, we're buying these buildings somewhere between like 11 and $13 a square foot. So the replacement costs, I, I can't buy the property and build these buildings for that price. Um, the other thing is they, the buildings that we have been buying lend themselves well to the layout of self-storage. So they're predominantly rectangular in nature, a, a very common column line. Um, the one that we bought in Dayton did not lend itself to multifamily, which is why it was not converted. It, the building was sitting vacant. We came in, we had the zoning as of right, we had an existing building. And so to buy the land, have the building and have the zoning um, for, you know, these, for $11 a square foot, it's, it's a no brainer for us at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And so is there a size of building that you're always looking for that, that you won't look for something smaller than X number of square feet or a certain number of units to get out of the space? Yeah, we're, we're looking between like, you know, 80 to 110, 120,000 square feet. The, the building that we bought, we're, well, we haven't bought it yet. So the building that we're under contract for in Louisville is actually close to 140,000 square feet. The, the market does not demand 140,000 square feet of self-storage, but there's existing tenants. And so we have um, a rent roll already. So we're gonna have a combination of flex warehouse space and then also self-storage. And so we're gonna be converting a portion of the building into self-storage and then maintaining the existing tenants. What are some of the metrics that you're looking for to, to show that the market is um, not meeting demand? Well, first we look at, is the population growing or is it decreasing? What, what is happening with it? So in each of the buildings that we bought, so the last three, Toledo, Dayton, now the one we're under contract for in Louisville, we're seeing a tremendous amount of development right around what's going on. So that, that's always encouraging to us. So there's like 3,500 rental units coming online in Louisville, right within two miles of our building. So of the, of the site, I should say. So that's, that's exciting for us that we're seeing continued growth in there. The second thing that we're looking for is what is the market saturation? How much lockers per square foot per capita is in the marketplace in context of the overall? And is there, and then we look at, is there unmet demand? And so in each of those cases, you know, the, our competition is like 90% leased up. We're well below the saturation level for our product type. And then we look at pricing. And, you know, are they getting good, strong pricing and what's been happening with the pricing? And so that's one of the things that we really like about self-storage compared to when I was in multifamily. When I was working for a top 20 developer in the country, you know, there wasn't feasibility studies out there. It was just like, if you build it, they will come, right? And, sure. you know, we're doing a, a lot more due diligence now than what I was doing when I first started. I mean, we're, we're doing, it was a $100 million project. You know, it was like, that 400 units. I mean, that that's a tremendous amount of change to a community, right? And 
we didn't have a feasibility study to say like, is there going to be a demand for 400 people to come in and buy these condominiums anywhere from a hundred thousand to half a million dollars? Wow. You know? And so, you know, for, for us, we have a market study that says, is someone going to rent a locker for a hundred dollars? Or, you know, is it, are they going to rent it for $25? So we know exactly what the market is going into the product. So thinking about what's happening today with COVID, you're, you're going to see a lot of space open up within, you know, retail and some of these other places that unfortunately just aren't going to have the power to come back. Um, potentially maybe warehouse stay strong. You know, we start seeing a lot of uh, shipping, maybe some, some, some of business come back, you know, from overseas that, that start being made here for certain reasons. Are you, is this now, is this making you bullish again on the industry? Cause there's going to be more opportunities that you could find space and in predominantly maybe areas that were oversaturated with retail and office space that maybe you can use for this conversion process. Well, there's two points to that. The first is, you know, we've studied the last four recessions and based upon the, the gray hair that I have, you, you know, that I've been through a couple of these recessions before. So um, maybe that's wisdom. Maybe it's, I don't know, old age. And like my kids tend to say it's more old age than wisdom, but we've, we've gone back and looked at the recessions in the past and in each of the recessions, self-storage has either held or gone down like one or 2% and then rebounded very quickly. So they're not recessionary proof, but they're certainly recessionary resistant. So they, they're, they're holding their market. In fact, the greatest, the lowest cap compression that we saw was when extra space bought a, a portfolio of a billion dollars, and it was at a four and a half cap and that was at the last recession. So they do well in, in a downturn, which is why we've gotten, we were bullish on self-storage before the recession because of the, the fact of how they resist the, they re, they're not as, you know, they don't vary as much within a recessionary market as other products. Um, people will argue that multifamily, that they're expecting a surge within multifamily. I don't know. It's all going to depend upon what the lending capacity is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly hospitality, retail, it's no, it's a no brainer. These things have been hit and hit hard. So there is going to be a change. What we did see in the last recession is the, the communities that needed something to be built were willing to rezone. The communities that were not, were going to hold fast to the fact that they weren't going to change the zoning. So there could be a big box, that would be prime for self-storage. But if we can't get the, the zoning, then it's not, it's not gonna happen. And that's where you will see the pressure, you know, cause obviously the community is losing tax dollars, tax revenue, but they, they want the sales tax. And self-storage, you're not gonna, there's very little sales tax. So they want to keep those products on there. And who knows what, if, if communities are gonna allow it to be rezoned to, to self-storage. Interesting. Yeah, that's actually a great point, right? So if the community is looking to find that way to come back, they're going to push that across because really the tax dollars that makes up what's happening in the, in the, in the area. Is there a reason that you focus a lot on you know, middle, middle America states and, you know, we, we invest in so many states, you know, we're in Louisville is in terms of um, focusing on some of the other states that might have a, um, a bigger flight to them, like the, the Floridas or the North Carolina or South Carolina. Is there a reason that you, you stay location specific um, in the states around you? It, it, there is. I mean, it's, it's, it's based upon saturation. We've had plenty of people call us up and say, hey, I want to do self-storage in my town. There's no self-storage. And I'll ask them where they live and I, I type it in. And there's like 18 facilities like within two miles of where they live. You know, they're, they're oblivious to it, right? 
So along the East Coast, the South, the West Coast, the saturation is, it, you know, where supply equals demand is typically around seven square feet per locker. And the South is actually nine because of the fact that there's so much self-storage and there's so much demand. So we have avoided those areas because it, the, the competition is incredible. Um, but more importantly, if we can go into a market, you know, Dayton, the one we just, we just opened up in Chicago, when we bought it, it was two. So there's plenty of, there's plenty of demand that we can meet. Um, each of the ones that we bought, Toledo, Dayton, and Louisville have all been under four. So there've been between two and three and a half. And so we know that there's, there's a lot of margin for us to, to meet in there. Wow. Interesting. And when you're doing your build out, do you look at a certain per square foot number that you have to come in for your construction cost to, to make this? Or is there, is there a range or, or how do you look at it from that side? Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the condition of the building. And yeah. then we back into what we can pay for it. So the building in, in Louisville that we're under contract for is very aggressive pricing because of the fact we have to do so much for to the building. We're actually going to be spending a lot more per square foot on Louisville than the other buildings, um, just because of the fact that we have mixed use and it is larger. So we, we always base the purchase price based upon what, it, what it's going to cost to get us to the place where we need to break even and make money. Was there a pinnacle point here? You talked a little bit about you know, moving on from multifamily and just completely shutting off the point. Um, but was there a pinnacle moment or something that you, you talked about the conversion that you had with uh, the partner or the, the person who was looking for space? Um, was there a moment that you said, I, I will no longer do residential or any, any kind of point with multifamily, strictly just going to go all in uh, with self-storage? There was, there was two points. The first was when we sold our multifamily. Okay, I'm, you can accuse me of a lot of things, but you know, being the smartest guy in the room is you're, you're not going to accuse me of that one. So, um, you know, I, but I, I do watch what's happening in the marketplace. And, and so when the, the crash came in the last crash, the last two crashes, Oh, one and Oh, eight and Oh nine, we weren't sitting on a lot of property because I stopped buying because I was listening. And I think that's the key thing within the marketplace is I was listening and paying attention to what, the market was saying. I wasn't trying to force the market. And so I stopped buying in 01 and I stopped buying in 08 and I was, I was selling. And, you know, I was being criticized by my competition for selling my properties too low to undercut them. I'm like, look, I'm in cash. I'm out. You know, I, I don't want to be holding it because I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with what's going on. So when I saw that, you know, the cap compression for apartments was lower than what I expected. That's when I began selling my, my apartment. I'm like, I'm, I'm just out or done. Um, now, did I time it perfectly? I don't know. You know, perhaps it's going to do a little bit better now, but I'm also out. You know, I don't have to worry about if I'm going to make it, you know, half point or a point better or worse. You know, that's, that's my philosophy. So and we're in real estate. Everything is for sale at the right price. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I feel that the market's going to be turning, then I will liquidate. Um, the other indicator for us was we, we were doing a spec house in Winneka, uh, in the North shore it was not in Winneka, but in the North shore of Chicago. And we had originally projected it to be like a million 50. And this was, you know, right, you know, we were right around the election time and the, the market opened up and we weren't quite done, but in January, 
like three homes all sold for like over a million dollars comparable to us. And then the rest of the year, nothing sold the new construction. And this is, this is a brand new house. We picked it up for two thirty-five. You know, we thought this is, this is not a home run, but you know, a triple double for sure. Good deal. And we, we sat on that for a year. We had to rent it out and then we then sold it at break even. So we, we cut the price by over 20% in order to sell this thing just to get out. And so that was the next thing is like, there was so much fluctuation in the single family market that was like, there's too much risk. So when I, when I'm evaluating risk, those are the things I'm looking for is like, what's the volatility, you know? And so for, it was the cap compression and then the volatility within the single family that we're not investing in those things. But if people are asking us to build it and develop it for them, then we will certainly do that. I think there's, there's, Obviously, there's no risk to us, but I think there's less risk to someone else because they're not paying the, the premium of buying something new from someone else as a finished product. They're working with us and getting that benefit of being the owner from the front end. Yeah. So we, we have built new homes recently. We just finished another church. We're working with another. So we just finished a church last year. We're working with another church right now. And, uh, you know, we, we just finished a house. So people hire us to do those things. But from an investment point of view, our portfolio is strictly self-storage. Yeah, I love that. And so from a self-storage um, aspect, when you're building out the, the property, is there any value adds that you always look to add that, that you know that maybe other operators are missing or other people leave out that you think is, is definitely a mistake and you put this in there because you know it really takes your property to that next level? It's not that complex. <laughs> I, you, you never know, right? So it could be anything, you know, automation, key. You know, I, I think right now, I actually, you know, I think one thing I said the other day is like, you know, it makes self-storage um, something that multifamily is, is going to take note to is it, it, it can be a touchless experience, right? And so with the scarcity yeah. right now, what it is, I mean, you can walk in there, sign up for a locker, get, get key, you know, go through the kiosk, go through your gate, go in there, go in your thing and you have cameras around. But there's going to be some point where, you know, I'm seeing that, you know, virtual um, touring in apartments, like people are getting adjusted to that, right? When they said, oh, this won't work because, but now that's the thing. So now, you know, people are selling houses through and everything else. There's certain things where multifamily will take that, take that lesson from what they're seeing in self-storage. But in terms of what you're doing, what are some of the other income drivers or other points in the properties that, that really, um, instead of like, like a multifamily, right? So sometimes people just strictly focus on the rent, but they're missing all the ancillary parts from the income or the expense side that can really make the property because they're so focused just on the drive, right? Right. Anything from a self storage component that, that you could add to note that you really think is, um, is lackluster on lots of other properties. Yeah. Well, the, the big thing is, you know, people want, dry, safe, and secure. You know, those are the, the big driving factors. And, and yes, we like, like most things in society today, it has gone to a, a touchless process. So even though we do have someone on site that can help upsell, provide other materials, boxes, packing paper, tape, whatever it is, they have that ability that you can't always get at a, at, at a kiosk location. So some of our friends who operate class B, the kiosks work wonderful. Class A, you still need someone there because they're a lot bigger. You know, they're, they're about twice the size of a class B facility. And most of the class B are you drive up to versus going into the building. So everybody has their own individual key number where they can get access into the building. And, you know, they can, they can go in at any point in time. So one of the things that we were offering, because we just opened it up, was like we could say like, 
look, your locker won't be within six feet of another occupied locker because we, we literally opened up like a week before the shelter in place. <laughs> so it was pretty safe for us to say, if you come in, you'll be six feet away from somebody else. We'll ensure it. Yeah. You know, so th that was one of the things that we offered. Um, but the big thing that we look for is what the market is demanding in terms of how big. So another reason why I like self-storage over multifamily is I, I, I take the Henry Ford approach where he said that people could have whatever color car they wanted as long as it was black. So for <laughs> us, you know, they can have whatever color self-storage locker they want as long as it's white. But more importantly, it's the size. So when we're going through it and part of what our research and our due diligence is, what, what size is appropriate for that community? So if we just go in and build like really big units that they can't afford, then we're gonna sit empty. Conversely, if we build two small of units, then no one's gonna buy them because they don't wanna rent like 20 little units. Yeah. So in each community, we dictate what that size is in order to make sure that we're meeting the demand. But then we have the flexibility as well as like, in one of our facilities, we, we, we were sold out of the 10 by 20s, but yet we couldn't sell the 10 by 10s. So we took out the inner wall of the 10 by 10s and made them 10 by 20s and then they leased up. That's great. So we, we always look for that flexibility in terms of our layout or design to make sure that we have a lot of variations. So we're not just, our unit configurations, not exactly the same throughout the entire building. What are some mistakes that are commonly made uh, when people go into self-storage investing? Well, I, I don't think it's any different than real estate. They, overpro they overpay, you know, and, and they over leverage it. And then when the market turns or there's a change, um, they can't react and then they're stuck. And so then also due diligence, you know, what is the existing condition of the building? So some of the things that we're fortunate that we're doing is that when we're, when we're buying these buildings, we're putting a new roof on them. We're putting all new mechanicals in them. We're putting new energy efficient lighting that is motion sensor. So it cuts down on electricity and on a timer. Um, so all these, all these systems are brand new in our building. So we don't have to worry about, you know, is the boiler going to go out? Is the, the furnace going to go out? You know, the roof and those sorts of things. So we, we've bring the, we're bringing the building up to state of the art technology. So the fact that we don't have to worry about a lot of ongoing maintenance concerns. Sure. And the, the business plan is you go in there, you do the uh, complete conversion process and then you'll bring on third-party management from one of the, the players there to manage the property for the life of the hold. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my expertise is in real estate. Mm -hmm. It's not in managing self-storage lockers. I'm granted it's, it's apartments without toilets, right? You know, it's, we're 35% of operational costs compared to multifamily, which is 55 there's a reason why it's 35% because there's, it, there's not as much to do, yeah. but there is a science to it. There is, there is a, a logic to it. I let, I hire them to, to do what they do best. And that way I can focus on what I do best, which is identifying properties, repositioning them and getting them ready for the marketplace. Is there a typical hold period that you find is, and I, I know that you talked a bit that, you know, for multifamily, you know, you're always bullish on just looking for the right angle and when cap rates compresses, does that hold true again for what you look for in, in um, self-storage? Yeah, I mean, typically for our development lease up, it's a three to five year hold. That's what we convey to our investors is, you know, we're, we're going to plan on holding it, excuse me, for three to five years. Um, the last three have all been in opportunity zones, so we, we, you know, we're we're cognizant of that as well to make sure that our investors are are getting the maximum 
advantage of their taxes um, through the opportunity zone. So you know, we're, we balance all things in there. And you spoke to the, really the city's openness for, for rezoning. Are you finding that traditionally a lot of the properties come in there, you have to go through that process and none of them are zoned correctly is, and that's not a huge hurdle or is it ultimately standoffish based on town to town? It, it's town to town, but it's becoming more difficult. <clears throat> um, self storage is the ugly stepchild. Make no bones about it. It is not the sexy, you know, Rolls Royce or, you know, Lamborghini in, in real estate. And people have this negative perception about it, but yet everybody needs it. <laughs> you know, so um, I shouldn't say everybody because about 10% of the population utilizes self storage. But it's the type of thing where communities, I grew up in a town that didn't want to have fast food. So they banned McDonald's. So when McDonald's was finally able to come in, they couldn't have their sign, right? You know, they tried to, to push it down, but ultimately people bought the McDonald's and the McDonald's, you know, 40 years later, the McDonald's is still there, right? Yeah. It's, it's that way with self-storage. <clears throat> so the towns that we've had to rezone it, one actually told us to write the zoning because they said, you know, our, our zoning is so antiquated. We don't have the time. So why don't you just write it and we'll approve it? I mean, I've, I have a master's in architecture, not urban planning. So I'm like, I've never had to write a zoning chapter, or, you know, definitions, those sorts of things. Um, <clears throat> the one we did in Wisconsin, we had to rezone it because it was zoned storage. And then they changed the definition between storage and self-storage because they were trying to block self-storage. Oh. So they dezoned us. And I said, you guys already gave us our certificate of occupancy. And they said, well, you have to go through the process, but you won't have any problems. So we were the last ones. <clears throat> they, they were preventing other people from being self-storage because they didn't want more self-storage in Milwaukee. Um, Toledo, Dayton, and Louisville all have the zoning. And, and interestingly enough, Dayton fought us. You know, they, they were trying to withhold our PACE financing um, because they didn't like the fact that we were coming in with self-storage and they claimed that we didn't talk to them, <clears throat> which was really ironic because of the fact that, you know, we went and met with them. They made comments on what we were doing. We altered it. We showed it to them, but they were, they were trying to block it because they wanted retail on the first floor. Interesting. And so we, we worked with them. We, we were able to cooperate with them, come to an agreement that we both could, you know, live by, but um, you know, they were, they were resistant to having self-storage in downtown, even though it was zoned. And I said, if you don't want this, then why is it zoned that way? That was, that was my whole argument. Like, and they're like, well, we want it, but not there. And I'm like, but it's zoned there. <laughs> so like, I don't, I don't understand your argument. Yeah. The talk track doesn't quite align, but I, I think going forward, you know, we'll see where we come out the other side of this, but, but you might find that cities start to take another look at it just because it is a viable option of need when you have a lot of other things that are going to be hurting to come back and a lot of things are going to be going digital. So, you know, Scott, I really appreciate your time. Really appreciate all the context and all just great feedback you gave on the self-storage space for people that want to learn more about you, your company, what would be the best way for them to connect? Well, our website is www.coda, C-O-D-A-M-G for management group.com. So that's codamg.com. And uh, if they have questions, they can uh, email us at info at codamg.com. And we have a lot of, we have a resource pages that shows like feasibility studies and, and different things. So people can learn about self-storage on our website. So there's, there's lots of information. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Super appreciate the time. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Talk to you shortly. Join us for your second cup of coffee every Monday through Friday at noon. 
live every day, bringing us our best content we've done so far. Super excited, super engaging, bunch of great guests. We're here to answer your questions and we so appreciate you listening. Make sure to check this out. Can't wait to see you.